I did want to give you a couple of quick updates this morning. Um, they're, they're matters that do require our prayer, so I'll pray with you again. But um, some of you remember a couple weeks ago we talked about uh, one of our North Wake members, Daniel Agaev, who had gone to Russia. It's complicated. His bride, his fiance was in Russia. He married her in Turkey. They're back in Russia. They're trying to get to Poland. And they made it to Poland. They got their vaccine. So hopefully they're headed our way soon. But please keep Daniel and Anastasia in your prayers. It's a great way to start a marriage in the middle of a war zone. So uh, you can pray, pray for Daniel and his wife, Anastasia. Um, but also one of our... Uh, family that we have sent to the Dominican Republic to work there. Um, she has a side gig that's because she's a nurse, Keverly, um, and she is um, in Poland about to, if she's not already in Ukraine, uh, serving with Samaritan's Purse. And as you know, you know. So uh, let's just take a moment and pray for these two, especially for Keverly as she is in the area where Russia has expanded their offensive and is now um, right on the Polish border attacking the western part of the Ukraine. That's likely where she is being assigned to provide care and relief there. So let's, let's go to prayer once more, if you would. Lord, these two loved by us, loved more by you, we ask your kindness upon them. We pray for Daniel and Anastasia. Thank you for caring for them, allowing them to get out of Russia to Poland where they can get the vaccine they need to re-enter our country. So Lord, bless every step of the way for them, their visas or whatever they need. Um, draw them near to you and keep them safe, we ask. And Lord, for Keverly, we pray the same. Lord, protect her as she serves in your name. Use her greatly. Protect her as only you can in that place. Be, be her safekeeping, uh, Lord. And come to us now as we've already asked. By your spirit and your word, we pray. Amen. Let me invite you to just watch this little video clip to get us oriented this morning. Business as usual, right? The, so imagine you're standing on glass 1,353 feet in the air above the city of Chicago and the glass begins to shatter. Um, 
and you're the next guy in line, right? You paid 55 bucks for the expedited admission to the, to the, the ledge, they call these little things, where you can stand out there. Uh, and you're thinking, am I going to die, right? Can I trust this? And really, that's the question that, that has to come to people's minds as they're up in that tower. Can I trust this? And that's the question that's before us this morning, as Sam indicated in John 14, as we return to Jesus' farewell discourse in the Gospel of John. Has to be the question on Peter's mind, can I trust you, Jesus? Right, because in the closing verses of chapter 13, as we saw last week, the glass cracked under Peter's feet really twice. Look, remember these last verses with me from chapter 13, verse 36. Simon Peter said to Jesus, Lord, where are you going? Jesus had indicated he was leaving them. And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. And I can't help but think that Peter is left wondering, Jesus, can I trust you? It feels like the, the glass just shattered under my feet twice. First crack, you are leaving us. And the second one, I am about to fail miserably and repeatedly. Can I still trust you to be good to me, Jesus, even when I don't deserve it, even when you seem like you're not around? And surely Jesus would be justified in just cutting Peter loose at this point. He is about to deny Jesus in his hour of great need, not once, but three times in the next 12 hours. And it's not just Peter that's going to do this. Um, if you read Matthew's telling, just moments before Jesus predicted Peter's denials, he predicted that they would all fall away. In Matthew 26, it says that Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. So, so this is a troubling time for all of the disciples, all of them. Jesus has just predicted their failure and they're faced with his puzzling departure and I'm sure they're thinking, is, is that why he's going away? Because we're failing him so desperately, so terribly? Can we still trust you, Jesus, to be good to us, even when we don't deserve it? And before we hear Jesus' response, I just want to acknowledge this is where a lot of us end up on a regular basis. Um, when we fail, we wonder, can I still trust Jesus to be good to me, even though I don't deserve it? And so his answer that he's going to give to the 12 um, apostles here, or actually the 11 at this point, um, it's our answer too. And so we continue where we left off last week, and we'll pick up in John chapter 14, where they've just finished the Last Supper, and they're about to leave that upper room and head to the garden, where the disciples' failings are going to be in earnest. So the, the teaching we're about to hear, it happens right smack in the middle of Jesus predicting their failure, and it happening in the Garden of Gethsemane. Right. And so we listen on Jesus' teaching in these verses that come right after Peter's triple failing, John 14, verse 1. This is how Jesus responds. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. 
So Jesus is essentially saying, Peter, you're about to deny me three times in the next few hours, and I'm out of here. But don't let that trouble you, Peter. Trust me. Trust God. I've got this, right? After saying the most troubling things imaginable to his friends, Jesus follows it up immediately with his great concern for them. Don't let your hearts be troubled, right? It's concerned that they're distressed over his predictions of his departure and of their failure. Jesus' first words to his failing disciples are words of care. And he sandwiches nearly all of the teaching in chapter 14 with his caring concern for his troubled disciples. He does it at the start in verse 1, and then look all the way towards the end of the chapter in verse 27. Jesus says again, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus says, I have a unique peace for my disciples. Nothing like the world can offer. And uh, Pastor John Piper says that Jesus knows that the only kind of heart peace the world can give is peace of mind based on good circumstances. If the world can take away our troubles through health insurance or retirement accounts or flood protection or bomb shelters or labor-saving devices, then the world can give some peace of mind. But Jesus says, not as the world gives do I give to you, which means that his peace is not based on good circumstances. It is given and it holds sway in spite of bad circumstances. It is amidst their worst troubles, their Savior is leaving them and they're about to fail him, that Jesus gives peace. So, so this is the first thing that Jesus wants us to see about trusting him in hard times, even when we are responsible for those hard times. He cares for you even then. He is concerned about your troubles. He wants to give you peace. You matter to him even then, even on your worst day. So should you feel abandoned by Jesus, know that he has not abandoned you. And should you feel unworthy of him, know that he still cares for you. Know that you will not be good enough, but Jesus will be loving enough. Listen again to Pastor John Piper. He says, it is one of the most amazing and wonderful and sweetest things in the Bible to realize that just hours before Jesus was crucified, he was concerned for the peace and the joy and the faith of his followers. Think of it. He's about to be tortured to death with one of the most horrific means of torture ever devised, and his burden was to solidify in the souls of his followers peace and joy and faith. And so Peter, the same Peter, would later write these words, cast all your cares on him because he cares for, for you. So even when Jesus seems very distant, he cares for you. He's concerned about your troubles. Even on your worst day, even on his worst day, he's concerned for his disciples. And by bookending the teaching of chapter 14 with these two statements of his care, really everything in the middle is also kind of grouped up in his care for us, right? So 
Jesus is saying, trust me, I care about your troubles. And Jesus does, he pleads with us, trust me, trust in God when you are troubled. Now there's a second great encouragement to trust Jesus on our troubling days, and and that is that even though he is leaving, he will not leave us alone. He is sending the Holy Spirit. In, in, down in verse 16 and 17, he talks about this in chapter 14. He says, when he leaves, he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So Jesus will send his spirit to dwell with us and even in us, he says. He'll be with us forever. He's another helper, comforter, friend. It's translated different ways. Just like Jesus was a comforter and a helper and a friend to his disciples. Verse 25 says, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So Jesus is sending the Spirit to be with us so that we will not be alone. And he's to remind us of all that Jesus has taught. And he's doing this. This is, what, this is what's happening when we read the Gospel of John. The Spirit has helped John remember what Jesus taught and he wrote it down for us so that we can have the Spirit's encouragement. Right? Jesus will never leave us alone. Even though he must depart, he has sent his Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, to be with us. And when the Spirit is with us, Jesus is with us, Paul says in Romans chapter 8. So on your hard days, even faithless days, Know that Jesus has sent his spirit to be with you and even be within you, even on those days. He will bring to your mind the teaching of Jesus and the promises of God for you. You can trust Jesus because he will not leave you alone. Never. There's a third reason in this passage that uh, helps us trust Jesus on our hard days. And it's very closely related to Jesus sending his spirit. And it's because Jesus himself wants to be with us. He wants us to enjoy his company. And I think that, that implies that he wants to enjoy our company. Think about that. Jesus likes your company. Look at, look at the first verses of the passage again. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that there, there I am, where I am, you may be also. So Jesus wants his disciples not to be troubled by his departure. He's not leaving them to abandon them. He is leaving them to prepare a place for them and for us. 
Let me, let me quote John Piper once more. He had really good insights on this section of scripture. He says, pause there and let the first reason for faith sink in. God's house is large. It has many rooms. He won't run out of space. And there is a place for you. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. He says, the argument for trust is based on three things. First, this is God's house, not his hotel. His children live with him in his house. Second, it's very spacious so that he never runs out of room. And third, there is a room designed for each of the 11, even Peter, and that means even you if you'll trust him. So Jesus assures us in our troubles that he is providing a place for us because he wants to be with us there. He says he will come again and take you to be with him. The whole point of the house imagery is we get to be there with Jesus. That's why he prepared it. And it's not like Jesus these days has his carpenter belt back on and he's renovating space in heaven trying to make you know, a little chalet for you, right? That's not what he has in mind when he talks about preparing a place for you. He's talking about what he's going to do the next morning on the cross. That's how he's about to prepare a place for us. That's why he is departing. By bearing our sins and dying in our place on the cross, he procures for us entrance into the Father's house. And Jesus is reassuring his disciples of this desire for their company in the Father's house at their worst moment. Though they will deny him, he is going to make a place for them there so that he can be with them and they can be with him. One scholar put this working definition of heaven forward. It's the real presence of Jesus with his friends. That's heaven. And so this longing to be with his disciples, his love for them, which applies to disciples now too, his longing to be with you and his love for you is seen throughout this chapter, right? This chapter is full of Jesus' care, love, desire to be with his disciples. We see it when Jesus talked about the Spirit that we already read in verse 16. I'm going to ask the Father, he says, and he's going to give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The spirit longs to be with you, in you. It's in the language of resurrection in verse 18. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And he's talking about his resurrection there. He's coming back to be with his disciples. In the very next verse, he talks about it more. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. So Jesus offers them the hope of resurrection in the midst of all, with the hope that they can see Jesus, that we can be together with him. Verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So Jesus is talking to these troubled, about-to-be-unfaithful disciples, and he's pouring love out on them. 
The Father loves them. He loves them. And he's going to show himself to them again. Because after Jesus' resurrection, he was here on earth for another 40 days or so before he ascended to be with the Father. And during that time, he only appeared to his disciples. He showed himself to them. It's as though that 40-day period between his resurrection and ascension back to heaven seems to have been designed to let him spend more time with the disciples that he loved. Jesus really does want to be with you. He wants you to be where he is forever. Verse 23, Jesus answered and said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Right? This is family language. This is, this is Jesus wanting you to be with him forever. He's back to the language he started the chapter with, of a home where we can be with him. Jesus really does want us to be with him. He went to the cross to make that place for us. And this is one of the reasons we can trust Jesus, because he loves us so, even when his disciples are about to deny him. These are his words for his unfaithful disciples. Jesus cares about your troubles. He sends his spirit to care for you in his absence. And he really does love you and want you to be with him in the place that he has prepared for you. And for these reasons and more, you can trust him with your troubles. Let me give you one more reason from our passage. You can trust Jesus because of who he says he is. He says he's God. Right out of the gate, Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And that kind of sets the stage for the rest of this passage where Jesus and God are all tangled up inseparably. To trust Jesus is to trust God. He says in verse 7, to know Jesus is to know the Father. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. So there he's saying, to have seen Jesus is to have seen the Father. He continues in verse 8. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus goes on to say that he is in the Father, and the Father is in him. In verses 10 and 11, Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, he says again. Jesus here is claiming to be God. There's no other way to make sense out of all of this. So because he's God, we can trust him to be able to follow through on these grand promises to us concerning things like our resurrection so that we can be with him in the place that he has prepared. It's important this morning, as we hold on to this hope that is the love of God for us, that we remember that Jesus' love for his disciples is just that. It's his love for his disciples. It's exclusively for those who believe in Jesus, who love him 
and keep his commands is how Jesus talks about his disciples. Now, Jesus does love the world, right? The, the most famous verse in the Bible declares that. John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him might have everlasting life. But the love Jesus is describing here in John 14, all these things we've been talking about in this upper room conversation with his disciples, it is for his troubled and troubling disciples, but it is not for the world. There's a distinction in this passage between Jesus' disciples and the world. Look again at verse 16 and 17. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And again in verse 9, yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. The world, in Jesus' teaching in John 14, misses out the house Jesus prepares It's for his own, for those who believe. The resurrection that he offers, it's for those who love him and keep his commandments. The spirit poured out on those who love him and keep his commands. So this morning, probably one of the most important things that I can offer you this morning, will you trust Jesus this morning? Will you place your trust in Jesus and enter into his love and care and concern that he has especially for those who do trust him, his disciples. You simply place your trust in him to be, as Jesus said, the way, the truth, and the life for you. So at the beginning of our passage, Jesus has this fascinating conversation with Thomas, one of his disciples. It starts in verse 3. He says, And if I go... And I prepare a place for you. I will come again and take you to myself. That where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Through me. So Jesus says, I am the only way you can come to the Father. And I am a sure way to come to the Father. I am the way. And so this morning, know that if you will trust Jesus, he makes a way for you to enter into a relationship with God where it's described as being adopted as God's child. Right? Into his family. To be in that in the Father's house forever and ever. Long ago, there was a Christian thinker named Thomas Akempis, and he put it this way. He said, Jesus said, follow me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. I am the way which you must follow, the truth which you must believe, the life for which you must hope. I am the inviolable way, the infallible truth, the unending life. I am the way that is straight, the supreme truth, the life that is true, the blessed, the uncreated life. If you abide in my way, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. 
and you shall attain life everlasting. So this morning, will you place your trust in Jesus to be your Savior, to make a place for you in the Father's house by his sin-bearing work on the cross? Will you trust him? Will you follow him? You know, I became a follower of Jesus at age 17 in a rundown movie theater in Peoria, Illinois. And I have never, ever regretted it. Not once. Not for a moment. It hasn't been easy by any means, but it has always been worth it. This morning, will you trust Jesus to be the way, the truth, and the life for you? Let's pray together. Jesus, this is, this is your beautiful invitation to all, all who hear it. And it is sure, made sure by your character, by your very being God, it's made sure you can do this and will do this for all who will trust in you. And so, Lord, this morning, help those who are hearing, who want to believe, but struggle to believe. Grant them faith to trust you, to follow you as Lord and hope in you as Savior forever and ever. Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen. Now, for those of us who are here this morning and we love Jesus and we are endeavoring to keep his commands, we get this morning to remember his love for us as we approach the Lord's table um, to conclude our service together. Um, Jesus died to remind, uh, Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. He did not wait for us to make our own way, to make our own life, to find our own truth. No, he died to make a way for us to the Father, to a house with room for us to be with him so that we can enjoy his company. In choosing a meal to be the symbol of our remembrance of Jesus' love for us, Jesus chose a symbol of fellowship, so much so that we call this meal sometimes communion. Right? And so as you come to the table this morning, know that this is not something you do apart from Jesus. This is something you do with Jesus. You are coming to him and remembering him, delighting in him, worshiping him, honoring him. And so I'd like to invite those of you who are following Jesus and walking in fellowship with him to come to the table and take the elements and take them back to your seats. If you'll hold them, in just a few moments, we'll all take them together as God's people here at Northway together. And if you'll use this center aisle and the side aisles, the wall aisles to approach, we'll use these two aisles to return to our seats. And let me pray for us as we approach the table together. Jesus, in coming to the table, we remember. We remember that after urging 
your confused and unbelieving disciples to trust you. That very next morning you went to the cross to bear their sins. And ours. Not because we were worthy, but because we were needy and because you loved us. And so now, Lord, as we approach this table, uh, we pray that it would be communion with you, that you'd accept this as our worship, our expression of love for you for having loved us and chosen us to be your own.
On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he had taught his friends about the supper and they had taken it together. And then he declared they would all be unfaithful. And they all went out and were. And they, Jesus did what this table symbolized. He died on the cross for undeserving disciples' sins. And that's what we remember together with the symbol that he gave to us. This is, this is worship as Jesus asked it of us. That we would remember that on the night on which he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body, it's broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me, take same way after the meal he took a cup and he told them that this cup was the new covenant in his blood and that it was for the forgiveness of sins. And he said, do this also in remembrance of me. Take and drink. 